doing six services. And it was a song that the the Lord's been really working on me with, and so I I figured we'd work through it together. And I wanted to open this morning. I, I heard a story, and I don't remember if this was a true story or just an illustration, but uh, it's it's one that took place during the 1800s or maybe before the 1800s. But it was uh, a British abolitionist uh, came over to the United States, and and you know that slavery was rampant at this time as big money maker and. Um, and he, he went to a slave market because he had he'd never been, and he wanted to see just what it was like and how bad it was. And he was disgusted by the atrocities. And But while he was there, he decided to put a bid in on, on a slave, a, a young man that they were selling. And he bought the slave, and as they walked off, he turned to the young man he had just bought, and he said, I don't own you. You're free. Go your own way. And he started to walk off, and the slave continued to follow him and the man turned around and said well what are you doing i i set you free go do whatever you want and the man said sir you have you have freed me from slavery and in so doing you have won yourself a willing slave for life and so what what that's what that presents that that represents the deliverance uh this this slave was delivered from this life of slavery from from being forced to do labor for other people he was freed the uh by this man, uh, delivered from this this horrible life, but in gratefulness and gratitude to that deliverance that he received, he pledged himself to serve this man for the rest of his life. Well, as we come to Psalm 34, and we looked at the first three verses as as a call to worship, but then as we get into verse four uh, this morning or this evening, we're going to look at verses four through seven. But really, the whole rest of the psalm is David explaining why he's calling us to worship, explaining specifically for he himself why he's worshiping this God, why he why he's worshiping the Lord. So we'll begin in verse 4, and I'll, I'll read 4 through 7, and then we'll begin to break it down. In verse 4, David says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. The angels, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So here we see David, and I'll just remind you of the context. We won't go back and read it, but David is he's fleeing from Saul. He's, he's had to play a madman to get away from, from this, this pagan king in Gath, and now he's, he's hiding in this cave, hiding from Saul, hiding from the pagan king, hiding for his life. But he looks back on those two events specifically, but I imagine his whole life in general, and he sees the hand of God delivering him out of, out of those situations, delivering him and, and saving him. So this evening as we look at this passage, uh, what I hope will be taught by, by the Spirit of God is that the Lord delivers His people who turn to Him. And we see this, we see this in a few, really each verse breaks down into a different, different manifestation of this truth. And we see, first of all, that the Lord answers us, His people. The Lord answers us when we seek Him. 
And you see that in verse 4 when he says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. And this, this verse amazes me for, for a lot of reasons. For one, we have to keep in mind who it is that David's talking about. I, I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about myself. You may not know this, and this may be a shock to you, but I'm not a very important person in the American society. I'm very low on the totem pole. If I went to Washington, D.C., and I sought out an audience with Donald Trump, chances are good I'm not going to be able, I won't even get a phone call, let alone set in with Donald Trump. And if I'm persistent in trying to see Donald Trump, chances are good I'm going to be tackled by a, by a, by a security guard. Because I don't have the credentials, I don't have the criteria it takes to get in to see President Donald Trump. But, but David here is talking about a person far greater than President Trump. He's talking about someone far greater than any, any earthly ruler or any dignitary or even any, any, any kind of king. David here is talking about the one who spoke the world into creation. David here is talking about the one who is sustaining all of life. He's talking about the one who is making his heart beat, making his lungs pump, and giving him the ability to even say the words that he's saying. Yet, unlike with, with me and President Trump, David says, I sought this Lord, and he answered me. Just think about how beautiful it is, how amazing it is that we have, as God's people, we have full access that when we seek Him, He will be found. When we earnestly, now, now you say, oh, there's people who say they're, they're seeking after God, there's people who say that they've looked for God and they can't find it, that's because they are not truly, sincerely seeking Him. It is not the default of fallen human nature to seek after God. That, that comes after a work of the Holy Spirit that draws us to Him. And anyone, Jesus says, Jesus says the Father, uh, the Father will, will draw them to me, and anyone who come to me I will in no wise cast out. So this, this great God of creation, this Lord who has, who has made all things, this one who has just delivered David by His own hand, David says, I sought him, and he answered me. Now, there's a, there's a few, and I kind of got ahead of myself, but that's okay. There's, uh, what we're looking at here is the fact that God reveals himself to us, and not only reveals himself, but gives us access to him. And there's some ways he does that generally. So he does that generally through creation. And you can see that in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 1 where Paul says that, that the invisible attributes of God were, were made visible through his, through his work of creation. But you can, you can look at creation and you can see, yeah, this had to be done by a God. As intricate as creation is, the, the way it all works together, there's no way that this was just some big cosmic accident. But... What Paul tells us in Romans is you look at creation and you see that there's a God, you have received just enough truth to damn your soul to hell. Because knowing there's a God, knowing there's a creator, but not knowing how to access that creator, not knowing how to make yourself, or how, rather how to come to the point where you can stand before that creator and not be judged for your sin, 
that just damns your soul to hell. But God not only was merciful enough to reveal himself in creation, he reveals himself to us in revelation. And that's, that's in the word of God. So that, and this is amazing in, its, in and of itself, the, the God of all creation, the one who had no obligation, who had no responsibility to us, he gave us everything we need to know about him in this book. He revealed himself to us. He revealed his character to us. And more than that, and we learn this from reading his book, but he has revealed himself in the incarnation of Jesus Christ himself. So that not only do we read him, read of him in his word, not only do we learn of him in his word, but we get to see him. God made flesh dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling place or tabernacled or dwelt among us. Not only does he reveal himself in creation and in revelation, but in the person of Jesus Christ himself. We see who God is. And then, for those of us who are his children, he has revealed himself uh, to us through salvation, through the work of the Holy Spirit, working on our hearts, opening our eyes, opening our hearts, and revealing to us our sin, our rebellion, our need for him, and then revealing to us his beauty, His majesty, His glory, His grace, and His mercy through salvation on the cross. So that's, that's in general, seeking out God. But I think what we have here is, is more than just an in general seeking to see if God exists or, or seeking to see if there uh, is a God or even who this God is. I think what we have here is David, as a believer, not just he knows God exists. He knows the character of God. But during this time and, and, and during this, this, this dark time of his life, what he's seeking is he's seeking more of the presence of God. He's, he's seeking more to, 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 to feel the presence of God, to be in the presence of God. He's longing after God himself. Turn, turn to Psalm 27 to get this idea a little bit more. Psalm chapter 27. And we're going to look at a couple of verses here. Look at verse 4. It says this, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Jump down to verse 8. David says, you have, you have said, Seek my face. And my heart says to you, Your face, O Lord, do I seek. And in the last two verses, David cries out in hope, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is what David is talking about when he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He says, I sought, I sought the Lord's presence. I sought to have the Lord with me. And while I'm fleeing from this madman Saul, while I'm, while I'm having to having to disgrace myself 
and act like a madman to save my life while I'm hiding in this, in this cave, not knowing what the future holds, only knowing the promises of God. I seek the presence of the one true God. I seek to know Him and to know Him more even, even through this, this uh, pain, through this time, through this trial. And, and amazingly, David seeks after this, this Lord, this, this merciful God, and he says, and he answered me, and not only did he answer me, he delivered me from all my fears. And we're going to see this come up again. And that's, that's one of, I meant to say this earlier, but that's one of the hard things when it, when it comes to, to preaching or teaching through a psalm is, is you're looking at poetry. And it's, it's really hard just, this is just a side note, it's really hard to take a poem and to break it down and to analyze it because there's, there's a lot of parallelism. So like I said, what, what David is doing here is he's looking at the same kind of thing through different angles. So he says here, he delivered me from all my fears. And we'll see in, at the end of verse 6, he says, and he saved me out of all his troubles. What, what David is saying is, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And because the Lord answered me, I have no reason to fear anything else. He has delivered me. He's, he's delivered me from Saul. He's delivered me from this madman. And he will continue to deliver me. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what pain, no matter what trial there is, it will come to an end. Even if it comes to an end and I'm in his presence in eternity, he will deliver me from every earthly trial, from every earthly fear. So the Lord answers us when we seek him. By the way, I'm assuming you guys go to 10 o'clock on Sunday night. Is that good? Okay. <laughs> Secondly, we see that the Lord, the Lord transforms us when we, when we look to him. He transforms us when we look to him. It says in verse 5, those who look to him, those who look to the Lord are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Those who look to the Lord are radiant, and his face, their faces shall never be ashamed. This idea of radiance, it's, it's, a, it's a brightness coming off of them. And this isn't saying that, that they are radiant, therefore they look to the Lord. This, this, isn't, this isn't saying there is something good in them before they look to the Lord, and that, that goodness in them caused them to look in the Lord, but rather it's they looked to the Lord, and they became radiant from viewing His glory, from, from viewing His presence. They are reflecting the glory of God that's shining upon them from looking, looking to Him. You see this idea, and we won't turn there, but if you remember in Exodus, when Moses is, is up and he's, he's in the presence of God, and he's receiving the law from God, and then he comes down, and the people look at him and they say, we can't look at you. You are shining too bright. And that's just, if you go back and look at the passage, it's amazing because earlier Moses had asked God, he said, Lord, I want to see you. And the Lord said, Moses, if I show you my full glory, you won't be able to stand it. You will die in my glory. And so the Lord said, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a walk and I'm, rock and I'm going to pass by you and you can see my passing glory. And just from seeing the passing glory of the one true God, when he comes down from the mountain, his face is so bright that he had to veil it because the people couldn't stand even the fading, passing glory of God. 
So we, when we look to this God, we ourselves become radiant, not because of our goodness. Trust me, my, even my wife will tell you I am not anywhere close to radiant in any way, shape, or form. But when I look to God and when I, when I am transformed by Him from, from reading His Word, from, from communion with Him through Christ, from fellowshipping with, with other believers, when I am in the presence of God, my life is going to have that radiance, that glory that comes that comes from God. Now, it's not obviously, it's not a literal halo. It's not, it's not me literally shining, but it's people seeing me and knowing this man has been in the presence of God, even if they can't express it. It's, it's the idea, it's the idea of, uh, the, that Jesus says, um, whoop, I just, I just lost someone right out of the brain, but I've got another one. Turn to, uh, turn to Acts chapter 4. I didn't plan on that anyway, so it's okay. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Now, this doesn't mention radiance or, or glowing, but I think we, we get the idea of, of, of what this is talking about. In Acts chapter four, and this is this is the disciples, and and it's the the people trying to stop the the disciples or, or the apostles from from preaching. And it says in verse thirteen, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and the boldness of John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, uncommon men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were made radiant by the presence of the Lord, by being in the presence of the Lord, by being one of His uh, disciples. And you see this. You see this even in the new heavens and the new earth, where it says, I believe it's in Revelation 21, that there will be no sun, there will be no moon, because the glory of God will be their light, and the Lamb will be the lamp. It's the glory of God coming through the Lamb of God that will that will enlighten us for all of eternity. That's the radiance for those who look to the Lord. He also says at the end of verse 5, not only will they be radiant, but their faces will never be ashamed. That's just saying, God, if you look to the Lord, He will never disappoint. He will will never fail. I don't know if you guys know the band Jars of Clay. I don't follow bands very close, so they may have falling off the deep and I have no idea so if you go listen to them and they're crazy don't blame me but, but I remember one of their CDs a while back they had a song and, and, uh, and they, they said that the idea the, the song itself came from they were walking somewhere and there was a homeless man on the side of the street and he was just singing it over and over and so they just took and they put it to music but they did it exactly like he did it just singing over and over and the song said this Jesus' blood Never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. This much I know because He loves me so. And it's just repeating it over and over. And I, I love listening to that because it's, it's such a reminder that if we, if we look to God, if we turn to Him, He will never fail us. No matter what. In, in any circumstance, whatever we're going through, He will not fail us. So the, the Lord answers us when we seek Him. The Lord transforms us when we look to Him. The Lord hears us when we cry. Verse 6, 
And, and listen to how personal David is with this. And remember that this is, this is a, a frail, broken human being crying out to the eternal, unchangeable God of the universe. He says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And notice, this is, this is subtle, and I haven't, I'm not a language expert, Hebrew or Greek or anything like that, so anything I told you would be someone else's genius anyways. But I haven't looked into this. But I, you do notice. So, so David says, I sought the Lord. Verse 5, he says, those who look to him. But then in verse 6, he doesn't say, this poor man cried to him. It just says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. This isn't, the way I read this at least, and if someone is an expert in Hebrew, you can keep it to yourself now and tell me later. <laughs> but this isn't David saying, I called out to God in my pain, and in my weakness I was, I was praying to him. No, this is just David breaking down, knowing his situation, and, and seeing what's going on, and it overwhelming him. And he just breaks down, and he cries. And David said, in that moment, when I was crying, the Lord who made everything, who sustains everything, who owns everything, who creates worlds with his word, he heard me. He heard me cry. You see this, this same idea, if you turn to Psalm 56, This is another psalm from David. In Psalm 56, verse 8, David says this, speaking, speaking to God, you have, you have kept count of all my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Just hear how intimate that is. When you're, when you're laying at night and you're, you're bothered by whatever it is that's, that's bothering you. And you, you have unsaved family members. You, you have children that you have no idea where they're going to end up or how they're going to get there. Or you have bills that you don't know how you're going to pay. And, and it's, it's literal. You're tossing and you're turning and you can't sleep. And David says, Lord, you've kept count of every single toss every single turn, every single punch of the pillow, you've kept count. He says, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I think this is one of the many things that separates true biblical Christianity and the gospel of, of Jesus Christ from, from every other religion. I say one thing because obviously there's, there's many things. But I don't see any, and I'm not an expert in, in Islam, but I, I've studied a little bit of it, but I don't see anything in Islam that is a promise that Allah is, is keeping their tears. Allah is, is not this, this merciful, this intimate, this personal God. And I don't see that, and I just say Islam because it's the one I know the most about, which isn't saying much. But, but here, the God of the Bible, He is a God who relates so much to His people, who loves His people to the point that we just cry and he 
hears us. But not only does does he hear us, because I can I can sympathize with you when you cry. And I, I can put my arm around you and I can say, I'm sorry, I really hate that for you. I can even say, I'll pray for you, but I cannot do anything to help you apart from that, depending on the situation. If it's money, forget about it. Um, but this is the Lord of the universe who controls all things. So not only does he hear you when you cry, but then he goes on and he says, and he saved me out of all his troubles. So not only does God hear you when you cry, not only does God keep the tears in your bottle, but one way, again, as, as Revelation, tells us, Revelation tells us, one day, not only does he keep those tears in the bottle, but one day he will wipe away every single tear of his people. It will be gone. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. Everything that we hate that was brought about by sin will be abolished. It will be gone. It will be taken care of. It will be handled. And we will worship in His glory and and in His presence. So, the the Lord answers when we seek Him. The Lord transforms us when we look to Him. The Lord hears us when we cry. And then lastly... The Lord protects us who fear Him. Protects us, uh, protects us who fear Him. It says in verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. And you see that idea of deliverance once again. A couple of things to, to just talk about in, in this verse. I, the first question I asked is, who, who is this angel of the Lord character? So I did some, some looking and, and commentaries, and there's, there's primarily two ideas. The first idea is that this is just a messenger of God. Uh, it's, it's just one of his angels, one of the many angels you see when, when Jesus uh, overcomes the temptation with Satan, and then it says angels came and ministered to him. So it's, it's the idea of, of just the heavenly host and camping around those who fear God, um, which is just as comforting. But there's another idea that I find interesting. I don't think, I don't think that I can be dogmatic about it, but I think I can make a pretty good case, and that is that when David says the angel of the Lord, this is speaking specifically about Jesus Christ himself. Because if there's a, a couple of reasons. First of all, we know that there are times in the Old Testament where Jesus shows up. These are called, just for you to impress your neighbors, it's called a theophany, um, or, or the pre-incarnate Jesus. Uh, one example of this is, and I love this example, it's the only reason I chose to use it. Um, but if you go back and look in Joshua, and I didn't write down the chapter, but, oh yeah, I did, Joshua chapter 5. And Joshua is, is getting the, the armies ready, and then he sees this figure standing with a sword drawn. And Joshua goes up to this figure and he says, look, are you, are you with the army, are, are you with us, or are you with our enemy? And this, this figure looks at Joshua and he says, no. He says, no, but I am a commander of the armies of the Lord. And then it goes on to say, Joshua fell down and worshipped him. In the Bible, people don't worship just angels. People don't worship just normal, everyday uh, uh, messengers. This was a, a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ himself. So why do I think that that's what's happening here? Well, if you go to chapter 35, Psalm 35, there's only three places that this phrase, angel of the Lord, shows up 
in in the Psalms. It's the one we just read, and then the other two are in chapter 35. And and David is is talking about his enemies here, and he says in verse 5 of 35, "Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the uh, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord." pursuing them and I, I don't know if you know this or not but that the, the language about uh, chaff in the wind it's, it's this idea of at least this is what I've been told this idea of they, they would have um, all of the wheat in, in, in a barn and again if, you, if you're an expert in agriculture correct me later and I will submit humbly but they would have it all in the barn and they would go out with these winnowing forks and they would throw them up and the wind would take away all the stuff that they didn't want and the stuff that would fall would be the stuff that they could actually remain. And so here David says, Let them be like the chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Now turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and beginning with verse 11 this is John the Baptist pointing to Jesus coming after him and John the Baptist says I baptize you with water for repentance but he who is coming after me speaking of Jesus is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire and look at verse 12 his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So the only two places the angel of the Lord, or three places angel of the Lord is mentioned is in our text, and then in 35 when it talks about the angel of the Lord chasing out the chaff, and then you have John the Baptist in 3 verse 11 talking about Jesus chasing out the, out the chaff. So again, can't be dogmatic about it, but I personally see this as David crying out and saying, the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, the second person of the Trinity, the, 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 the uh, Yahweh in flesh, he encamps around those who fear him. And then there's this phrase, those who fear him. Because the idea of, of fearing God is not a very popular idea nowadays. And even... even Sometimes I, I struggle with the idea because you do have in, uh, I think it's in the epistles of John, where he says, perfect love casts out fear. And you have Paul saying, we, there's now therefore no more condemnation. So the idea here is, but, but then you have in Psalms and in Proverbs, this idea of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. And here, David says, it's only, and we're going to see uh, David talk about those who fear God over and over again in this psalm. So what's, what's happening there? Do, are we supposed to fear God or do we not fear God? Is the fear driven out? Well, I think the, the distinction that needs to be made, and this came, at least the, the quote I'm going to give, it came from a guy named Burke Parsons. But the distinction needs to be made of the difference, of, the difference between being afraid of God or being afraid of the Lord and having a fear for the Lord. Those who are lost, those who are outside of Christ, outside of grace, outside of His mercy, they need to be afraid of the Lord. Because His wrath is abiding upon them. And, and if they do not hide themselves in Christ, His wrath will come down upon them. 
But we who are in Christ, we don't need to be afraid of the Lord. In other words, we don't need to be afraid of eternal judgment. We don't need to be afraid of condemnation because we are His child and He cannot love us any less than He already does because we are in Christ, His beloved. We are washed by the blood. There's no more fear of wrath, no more fear of condemnation. But we need to fear the Lord in the sense of we understand who it is we're dealing with. We understand His power. We understand what He can do, and we have a respect and we have a reverence for Him. I'm going to give two examples of this, one, one kind of silly and the other one from C.S. Lewis, just to give you some balance here. Um, I, don't, I don't consider myself being afraid of lions. I see a picture of a lion, I don't run. I go to the zoo and I see a lion, I, I don't freak out the way that my wife does when she sees a spider in the house. I'm not, I don't have this, this, this overwhelming, oh my goodness, there's going to be a line around every corner. But I'm not going to walk up to a lion, open its mouth, and stick my head in it. Because I know what that lion can do. I know that lion is, is untamed. Even the lions at the zoo, they are still animals, they are still wild, and they will still eat you. So while I'm not, I'm not irrationally afraid of that lion... I have a reverence, I have a respect, I have a fear of what that line could do to me if it ever got a mind to. That's what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the Lord. We don't, we're not afraid that every, every corner, every mistake, every time we fell, God's going to zap us with a lightning bolt. But we know who we're dealing with. We know this is, this is the God who can wipe out nations. This is the God who raises up kings and, and smacks them down. This is the God who, who, who parted the Red Sea for his people and then, and then drowned the armies of Pharaoh that were following him. This is the God who, who sent an angel of death to kill all the firstborn in any house where the blood of the Lamb was not present. So we're not afraid of the Lord. We have a fear for the Lord. And, and the illustra illustration from C.S. Lewis, and you'll probably hear this again because there's, there's not many here, so I'll, I'll reuse it for a Sunday morning when we talk about the fear of the Lord again. But it's in, I don't know if you've ever read, uh, it's in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, his, his children's book. And if you've not read it, I, I would recommend it. It's one of my favorites. But in, in that book, they, these children find their way through a wardrobe into this, into this other realm, this other land. And in this realm, there's, there's this king who is a lion named Aslan. And just spoiler alert, Aslan represents Jesus. If you don't get that from reading the book, then you need to go back and read it a few more times. But at the very beginning, the children are, are talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And then they mention something about Aslan being a lion, and, and Susan... The, the older sister, she, she's unnerved by this. And so she says, Aslan is a lion? Or, or I'm sorry, the, the beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And then, oh, said Susan, I thought he's a man. And then she asks, is he quite safe? And the beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. When we think about this fear of the Lord, this, this lion of, of Judah, our response when people ask if he's safe, our response is safe. Of course he's not safe. 
He's, he's, he's the Lion of Judah. He's, he's the one who could destroy you in a second if he had a mind to. But he's good. And that's why we can trust him. And that's why those who fear him can know that they're going to deliver him because he has promised that those who fear him, the angel of the Lord himself, will encamp around him. And if you have that fear for the Lord, you have no reason to fear anything else. In fact, you read in the Psalms, why fear what man can do to me? Again, SKV, Stephen Kuhn version. And you, and you see with the apostles when they, when, they, when, they, uh, when they demand that they stop preaching Christ, they say, well, whether it's better to obey man or obey God, you decide, but as for us, we cannot but proclaim what we know. That's the fear of the Lord opposed to being afraid of the Lord. So here we have David worshiping the Lord for his deliverance. Yes, his deliverance out of the hand of Saul and his deliverance out of the hand of this pagan king. But I think David is looking uh, to the past. And then as we know, as David's David's future goes on all the way through his life, David is constantly looking to God for deliverance and then praising him when he is delivered. And then the ultimate deliverance from, from every pain, every sorrow, every sin, deliverance from everything that sin has messed up in this world so that we can live in the new heavens and the new earth, abiding in the love of our holy triune God. So, as we go out, just because I didn't have much of a conclusion, so I'll, I'll do this on the fly, as we go out and as we face those trials and as we face those tribulations, we need to seek Him because we know he will answer us. Seek Him in His Word. Seek Him in, in prayer. Seek Him in the fellowship of, of, of other believers. I, I don't understand why when, when people fall into pain, when people fall into sorrow, um, sometimes the, their reaction is, is to run away from everything, all the graces of God that He has put in place to comfort His people. But no, when we fall into that pain and that sorrow, we are to, to seek Him because we know He will answer us. We are to look to Him because in looking to Him, we reflect His glory. And cry. Cry because you know He will hear you. Don't, don't try to... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Don't try to impress God by how tough you are, by how spiritual strong you are. He knows every single weakness you have and even if you don't cry, He knows you want to. So cry, and he'll hear you, and he'll keep your tears, and he will wipe away your tears, and then be sure, be sure to fear him, respect him, revere him for the, for the almighty God that he is. Um, uh, should I just pray and, and dismiss, or is there, okay. Um, any, any, I'll, I'll just open up, I don't know if Todd does this, any thoughts or questions, fruit you want to throw?
Get that. Anything else? All right. By the way, if you ever want to throw something at me, make it like cupcakes or something and I'm free. <laughs>